right, how's that? You're good now. Perfect. All right, give me a try. Right. We are not now that which in old days moved earth and heaven. That which we are, we are when equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and never to yield. Go Team Venture! Gary, nobody cares about the Venture Brothers. People care. Well, just be quiet. All right, fine. People really need to know this stuff. So I know what's going at the top of the episode. (laughs) 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 Well, that solves that. And that is a great opportunity to welcome all of our friends to a brand new episode of Conjectural Technologies, a venture industries podcast. I am your host, the indomitable Professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is your host, Beast Lamode, my longtime companda. Hey there, gang. How's it going? And we are joined this week by our favorite devilish denizen of community theater productions, the Vaudevillain. I'm trying to make my way into like cruise ships that have plays or if you see anywhere that has a play that shouldn't give me a call. I want to be there. Oh, dude. Play that... He did wonders for the Spider-Man Broadway production. I'll say that. <laughs> One night only. Oh, you know, I heard that you uh, I heard that you actually had a little bit. Oh, God bless. What show is that? I think it was like America's Funniest Home Videos or something where it's got somebody walking along. Then it's got like this ninja guy that just comes flying along and messes up whatever people thought they were doing. Is that you for community theater? I usually come on as like the uh, uh, the fill-in. If anyone's sick or anything like that, I always take that call and then just completely turn the show on its head. That's my favorite arch, but that gets me up to like a level three and I'm trying to stay down to like a level two. Got to stay low profile. He's like, you know what? You know what my goal for cruise ships is? To make the cruise ship experience better. That's how I can arch them. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't die this time. (laughs) (laughs) What you don't understand is I'm not stuck on this cruise ship with you. You're trapped on this cruise ship with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, with that, we are going to cruise into the first episode of our monarch block what we are tentatively calling the passions of the monarch and the episode that we are covering today is an episode that first aired on october 23rd of 2004 an episode that is the 13th of the first season that it takes place immediately after past tense So past tense is immediately past tense and immediately before the season one finale return to Spider Skull Island. It is the episode, The Trial 
of the monarch. Well, and uh, <laughs> I, I really, uh, I love this episode because you get a great slice of a little bit of everything. Some of the monarchs like daily life, you get a slice of, you know, the his relationship well obviously his relationship a little bit of how the guild operates in this world no it, and it's just it's a lot of fun and we were talking about this uh, a little earlier uh in the pre-roll just how great the intro to this episode is in particular it's probably i'm gonna say like top five all-time greatest venture brother opening like cold open scenes I am going to 100% agree with that. And I'm going to second that top five, which makes it a 2.5. So here's how this works. Our cold open. Actually, before I jump into the open, uh, Vaude Villain, do you have any secret truths about this opening? Like, few people know this, but Buried in a Bazooka Joe wrapper was actually the original <laughs> opening for this episode. <laughs> it was discovered by a one-handed man in Guam who then sold it to an old man from the sea, who then traveled on a cruise ship where everyone perished, but it was picked up by a fisherman off the Isle of Isla de Muerta. <laughs> okay, I don't know how you were that close. It was the Isle of Man. Um, it was a little bit more European where that ending ended up. And it actually started with, no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, this one was a very straightforward one, if you want to roll into that. And roll, I will, like a raver who's candy flipping and hasn't gotten to the second part yet. Ladies and gentlemen, we are cold opening with Hank and Dean. And they look different uh hank is dressed like indiana jones with his floppy fedora like his shirt to kind of half open dude almost tackies. down to his navel yeah and dean i was trying to describe who dean most looked like and i think i found the perfect example dean looks like gerald mccraney from simon and simon <laughs> see i was just i thought magnum pi no, 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 no. Like, that may have been who he was going to be. It may have been who he was going for. Like, but that ain't it. Like, he's got the mustache, but man, he's not built like Magnum P.I. Like, Tom Selleck is built for, like, late night frothing, whereas Dean is not. Uh, Dean, it, I, I just, and I just, I couldn't, like, so we instead both of the like... same vibe. It was both that early 80s, like, TV vibe. So instead I, of, like, Magnum P.I., he's more like 22 caliber P.I. Or Magnum P.I.ness. Like, <laughs> BBPI. Right. Magnum P.P.E. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's got this, like, floral print patterned, like, shirt. He's got like, and he's not even, I don't even know if we'd call him like khakis. Like what's the dorkier version of khakis? Like they're not even chinos. It's like off brand khakis, but with that not, not doesn't even have fun pockets, but he is wearing a sensible belt. Well, and you can definitely tell that you are kind of on that late eighties, early nineties cusp because pockets mean everything to you in terms of coolness. <laughs> You're like, those are uncool shorts. What they need, cargo pockets. Look, man, look, uh, Rob Layfeld has a special place in my heart. That and man a special at, place in hell. That man looked at parachute pants and was like, I can do better. <laughs> 
no, like, I just want this apocalyptic future where you can have bandoleros of patches <laughs> and necessitate every one of them. Look, can, can I be honest, though? Like, if we're going to guess what's in those, it you know it's just first aid kit after first aid kit after first aid kit. Like, oh, I, yeah. of uh, band-aids and neosporin. <laughs> yeah. Dude, like, search from 19... 19- Search from 1989, like half done. <laughs> Man, is this a pack of certs? I haven't seen those for a while. Oh, dude, hard candies from grandma that sat in your pocket too long oh, and now they're too sticky. Whore lockers. <laughs> Whoa, would you put what or in a not, locker? Not, not, not whore locker, whorehound. Whorehound candy. Yeah, whorehound. There you go. Whore lockers is a delicious spicy mustard. Maybe you could have those in one of your pockets. Like, do you have any Grey Poupon? Man, your Grey Poupon ain't got jack. <laughs> Get you hopped up on this whore locker. It's also where I keep my materials. Well, and don't forget, uh, like, while we've had got this awesome Indiana Jones and uh, weird Magnum P.I. riff, Brock shows up dressed up as Michael Knight, hold the up, Knight hold Rider. Up, hold up. Hold up, we 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 have to wait for this because there is ease so much. It. Ease into it, it man. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised you don't have more clones with how quick you are out of the gate. Like, <laughs> like I I know you tell people those are your tears, but we know they're not. <laughs> so here's we'll get to that later so before we get there we've got hank and dean and they are trying to get into this chest inside this like ancient cavern right um there's a giant statue in the back you know holding up the roof i mean it's it's pretty indiana jones legit and they're trying to get this thing open and dean's like luckily i have my pen knife and it's a pair of nail clippers (laughs) so he's able to pick lock um they open it up and they find that it's a bunch of like old candy, pipe cleaners, macaroni, googly eyes. And then Dean starts reading in Sanskrit. Of course, Dean knows Sanskrit. He's like, it's in a dialect I'm not familiar with. The prepositions <laughs> and stuff are all screwy. <laughs> and it's like, you know, danger to thee who manages to unlock the secret treasure of my uh, secret rainy day craft box. Okay, and that's when this giant statue of a hoplite warrior his eyes glow with this eerie green iridescence and he starts swinging his sword his evil eyes menacing them and the boys flip out and super run away onto the other side of the treasure chest as it tries to kill them but that is when Brock's other superpower comes into action that scene then jumps over to brock and beast take it from here well and uh again so brock is dressed like just money david hasselhoff pre-hamburger video back in like his heyday michael knight this is one of my favorite references because i loved knight rider and then you have uh, also in the background of that scene of that particular shot, like helper with all these new like Dude, you know, <laughs> badass. Helper flipper. was beast AF. Helper was the most awesome. His face, he had like an actual face, not like a Canadian from South Park head. Like <laughs> <laughs> he had like an actual face. He had tank treads. His weaponry was boss. 
dude, like it was seeing helper like that made me upset that we don't see helper like that. I mean, agreed. I think helper sees himself like that. <laughs> right. That is how he gets ready for the coming war between man and the Brotherhood of Machines. Right. Gets tricked out. <laughs> so Brock is wearing his like action leisure suit. Like that is truly athleisure. Like that is a leisure suit that is that that's leisure. Oh, dude, you know for a fact that those pants are actually like ballroom dancers' oh. pants. So then he can do like karate moves with all the flexing. Uh, oh, you know, they're also rip off so that when he really wants to, we both know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I well, that's the thing is, I don't imagine when you're Brock Samson that there isn't a piece of your clothing that isn't tear away. Right. <laughs> Every piece of clothing is tear away when you're Brock Samson. Yeah. But is it tearaway, or does he just Hulk out of anything he has to be doing? Because I don't the, the 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 move of ripping. I'm not entirely sure he could do that. But I would just love to see Brock's flex out of something like he couldn't too too constrained, too tight in the crotch. So he just ah, and boom, the pants just like pop open just enough. Did you I, I like... ever see Bruce Almighty? That's how I imagine yes. Brock getting out of his clothes. He just throws his arms back, and his clothes like fly free into the world. Oh, did, well, I like. <laughs> bit uh a little bit more because that implies that brock might actually listen to tenacious d <laughs> and so he does cock push-ups <laughs> i i bet i bet he could do one yeah i, I mean the one. one is all you have to do he could do it <laughs> <laughs> so the, the one move <laughs> so brock utilizes his superpower which is the boys are in trouble and rushes to action. So we're back to the monster now, the giant statue threatening the boys. And then a rock flies out of nowhere and hits the statue, knocking his arm off. And the statue's response to this is quite possibly my favorite part of the entire episode. He's like, oh, my arm came off. I can't believe that happened. <laughs> <laughs> And then we get to what is quite possibly my favorite part of the entire episode. That is when Brock grabs the arm and starts punching the giant statue in the crotch with his own fist while Hank sits in the background yelling, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. <laughs> well, and I love how they animated that. Like they give him the full on like cartoon cross-eyed knees buckled like <laughs> yeah. fall over yeah it, it's 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 so special it's so special and brock after hitting him a couple of times does not let up we get several more uninterrupted seconds and thirds and fourths <laughs> and fifths and sixths and sevenths of brock beating this guy's poor junk into submission uh it is don't look away children don't look away he's making okay. pebbles man <laughs> yeah 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 those pebbles are going to be fruity after this like they are they are and, and that's also i guess where the bam bam came from yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of that there's a lot of that uh that is when the monarch arrives 
and there's a you hear the monarch's voice and then you see this green mist kind of rising up and the monarch appears behind it and this is the most badass the monarch has ever looked the death's head panoply has nothing on what is happening right now i call this anime monarch yes yeah yeah no yeah. It's, it's the animonarch <laughs> And the monarch, um, and I really like. I, I love the the uh, long fingernails and stuff. Yeah, like Lady Deathstroke. Yeah, dude. Uh, and I mean, Lady it's very. Uh, it, it is very like anime in that sense. Um, and I know you have a particular uh, Bailiwick in this particular category. Uh, fun fact, guys: Brock Savage actually used to do voiceover work for uh, subtitled anime. Um, more specifically, he would also play villainous characters in hentai. That is correct. Uh, if you've ever seen super sexy sailor soldiers, Little Monica, or some of those other things, um, I am often credited as Muhammad Leibowitz. <laughs> <laughs> Why were we not using that name for the podcast? <laughs> like Muhammad Leibowitz has already got like a known voice career. Yeah, uh, good times. Yeah, I have been so many things. I have been fortune telling old crones. I have been cum swabbing uh, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi types on the sleaze train. I have been, uh, and that's just on the way to work. I have been multi penis <laughs> sex demons. Uh, I am. I am. I am. I have been effete uh, town destroyers. Um, I have been so many things. A flying tofu salesman. I was a flying tofu salesman. <laughs> Wait, like you had a plane, or like you flew? No, I, I, I had a bike. Oh, you had a bike. Okay. Clearly, I had a flying. You can't sell tofu without a bike. <laughs> Sorry, I, I forgot the rules of tofu selling while flying. Yeah, yeah I mean, you've seen FLCL. Like <laughs> you can't have a plane, but you can have a flying Vespa. So I, uh, I actually, I loved doing voiceovers. Uh, and it is one of those things that, uh, if given the chance to do, I would jump back in in a heartbeat. Uh, the only difference is now, instead of hiding my career from my mother, I get to hide it from my kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm sure they'll discover it all things in due time. Man, so I actually got copies of uh, of all the stuff <gasps> I was in, and uh, I so I, I have them here. They are hidden in uh, in my in my in my home, uh, and I am afraid. I don't know about afraid. Um, I my my oldest Ha One is starting to get to the point where when he finds it, I'm not going to see him for a minute. <laughs> oh, dude. Okay, I'm just going to throw this out here. Here's a here's a little bit of uh, conjectural technologies venture brother crossover headcanon. So Professor Savage has done voiceovers. Now later on, uh, <laughs> uh, we see like uh, you know much much later on. I think it's in season six or seven when he's working on remodeling the house, and Gary's like you know. Uh, or he's talking to Gary. It's like, well, good news. I've got good news and I've got bad news. And he's like, well, what's the bad news? Well, bad news is, is I'm masturbating to hentai porn because I can't connect with real people. <laughs> <laughs> so 
there's a possibility the monarch has enjoyed some of your work. There's a lot of my work to enjoy. Uh, I'm not going to lie when I say I'm pretty freaking good at this. As you will clearly see from my oeuvre. <laughs> I put the I put the ooh la la in ooh la lavra. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so getting back to to anime monarch. <laughs> um, he gives like some great lines. Like he's like you know while you're busy castrating priceless artifacts, <laughs> he's, I've been systemically feeding babies to mutated puppies. No, no, I've been systematically feeding babies to hungry mutated puppies. <laughs> and that's when the boys decide they need to spring into action. Well, hey, spring... can't let them castrate any more priceless statues. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> like just that throwaway line is while you were busy castrating castrating priceless artifacts dude honestly dream monarch like flashback monarch is the coolest monarch we have ever seen uh <laughs> I, it, it, it's right up there with when he, uh, he kills, um, or we think he kills. Um, oh crap, Doctor Dugong. Uh, Doctor Dugong. It's that, that. That is the closest we ever get back to that, and at least that one's in reality. But no, he he he's yet to be, and I don't think he's going to. <laughs> so I think we're going to get a softer monarch. I think we're heading toward a much much softer monarch as we go down this road. Unfortunately, this is his peak. Oh, <laughs> uh, it, doesn't it suck when you run into somebody who peaked in high school? I'm right here. <laughs> what's what's my name oh okay so we're gonna have to get two we... of them now because you've got me and you what's that oh he said uh my name earlier so at the uh, end of this we'll just get uh, we'll get some dub recordings so that's, of everybody. It, uh, that, that's right around 24 beast yeah i've got it i've got it marked uh okay. we need to come up with like a swear jar for that <laughs> i you know what i think we should do i think i think we should absolutely do the swear jar i think each time we make a mistake like that it's five bucks and at the end of the season, we take the money and we take Venture Stein to go to a brothel. <laughs> yes. Real name's good. <laughs> Conjectech podcast good. So we, that's when we get the boys springing into action and they go twirling and flipping off like anime characters and they start forming robots and they like uh who is it hank who forms the legs i'll form the legs right and this was just like uh not gigantor uh um was it kikaider oh this is killing me mazinger just like mazinger right and remember mazinger z no <laughs> oh. No, it's funny. Uh, the the references I actually have down for Mecha Shiva are uh, Gundam and Voltron. Like Voltron, yeah, that's Voltron's right. there. So uh, you're gonna recognize Mazinger as soon as you Google it. Like you're gonna be like, oh yeah, I remember that because you probably knew some kid who had the toy or some kid whose older brother had the toy. So here's how this works: Hank forms the legs, and the Dean comes swooping in to form the top. And when it pans back, they're Mecha Shiva because Hank's got his arms and Dean's got his arms. And 
you just start hearing them go, Mecca Shiva, Mecca Shiva, Mecca Shiva. And then it kind of pans back and out of this, what we learn is in fact a testimony. They're in court. And when they're in court saying Mecca Shiva, Hank is literally standing there and Dean has climbed on top of his shoulders in the witness stand. <laughs> and they're just going, Mecca Shiva, Mecca Shiva, Mecca Shiva, Mecca Shiva, and waving their arms, at which point the monarch starts yelling, lies! <laughs> and he says immediately everything that we've been thinking up to this point. Like, I was okay when Hank said, let me have a piece of him. Right. And then Dean says he understands Sanskrit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was in a it was in a weird dialect. Right. Uh-huh. The, the 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 two weird ones I had on this was uh A, it looks like the boys have done that before because on a witness stand to be able to jump on top of each other's shoulders and do the Mekashiba, that was coordinated. They clearly do this in like their bedroom before bed or something. This is a move they've got down. The second one, I, I worked it out initially. Uh, the boys obviously have gotten a weird time age line, but I think they're about the same age I am. So when they're referencing all of those classic, more 80s things, what I'm led to believe is they hang out with Brock and watch USA in the 90s. Because all of those shows and any of the references I immediately got in there, it was from watching USA with my dad in the early 90s. So I'm thinking that's what uh, they're hanging out watching TV at night, Venture Household. You know, man, So, and let's go ahead and give a shout out to USA in the early 90s. That was some spectacular television. The Weird Science. The Hitchhiker. Dude, The Hitchhiker, uh, the Weird Science television series, um, yep. Duckman. <laughs> I judge people if they know Duckman. If you know Duckman, we're good immediately. I don't need to know anything else about you. Like, Duckman was, uh, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, Duckman was progenitor to a lot of adult animation that we've kind of come across oh, yeah. now, like the USA up all night was very much the adult swim of its time. Um, it was. Oh dude. And then, uh, you know, they did the movie at the end of the night, like with Gilbert Godfrey and you yeah. know, the, whatever, like, uh, you know, blonde lady they had up all night. And I mean, it was, uh, it was a schlock fest. It was great. That was the first time I saw the howling. Yeah. <laughs> Rhonda Shear. Mm. And this is a little bit more uh again after the Elvira phase. Like Caroline Schlitt. She was on Camp Midnight. And then uh later Rhonda Shear took over. Oh, Camp Midnight. Yeah, I think that was up for an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar for most breasts almost shown goes to right. <laughs> USA, any movie. <laughs> the Oscar for most frustrating edit goes to <laughs> <laughs> like you just see a panel of like 13 year old boys just begrudgingly clapping <laughs> now the categories were very difficult this year we grade every edit on how red boys faces get <laughs> before they decide to turn it off yeah it was uh i and i'm not gonna lie i was right there with them dude i remember i i i, I was right there with them because like the first time you find it you're like whoa and then of course once you start watching it you're like oh my goodness and then you realize it's like Doc watching the best little whorehouse in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
this is not going where you hope it's going well and how long like you know you're 13 14 12 you know in that that golden age of of discovering masturbation how long did it take you to realize that this wasn't going anywhere like an hour into the film did you make it through two or three movies before you realized oh no no no, no. weeks i did i was at it for weeks <laughs> yeah. like i was I, like i was convinced it was coming like i just had to wait on it Dude, and, like... and of course that was back before the internet so like well i guess the internet was just kind of coming online pardon the pun uh so like 91 92 93 like there were very few places like if you didn't know somebody whose dad had magazines or had like the box to get HBO or, Sh or Showtime or Skinamax, like it was, uh, you know, like and essentially that was back at the point where you had to hope you'd come across something because the odds of you coming across something in the wild were relatively slim. Well, and the weird thing is you would come across something in the wild eventually yeah. yeah like one of my weirdest memories and i find out that this is something that i am not alone in it's covered you know in these weird kind of patches of pop culture building a fort out in the woods and you know you find patches of junk and then you find like a dirty magazine from the 70s dude, yes yes <laughs> yes I almost, oh dude, sometimes, like, as an adult, I feel like I need to be buying porn magazines and just chucking them in the woods. Scattering them into the woods. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm listening to you guys, and uh, living about uh, six miles from the strip, I have literally seen uh, porn uh, or the stripper ads. I've seen them hit an old woman in the face on the strip, so it's just a completely <laughs> different, like, the up here. I don't know if you've ever been out to Vegas, but when the wind picks up, we get 30, 40 mile an hour gusts right down that strip. So if those ads are all swirling around out there, just bam, so right into a tourist I space. will actually <laughs> be out in Vegas uh, a little bit later this year. Uh, I go to a conference in Vegas every year. So Vaudevillain, oh, nice. we are going to have to connect and uh, you're oh, going to yeah. have to yeah, show me the fun. real Vegas. And by real Vegas, I am afraid uh, because part of me feels like the real Vegas is not the like, the money Vegas I've seen. Cause like the, well, actually let, let me rephrase that. First time I went out to Vegas beast, you probably know exactly where I stayed the very first time I went out to Vegas. Cause I, it might, it might have been my only trip. There was only one place I could stay. Do you know what that, you know what it was? I don't uh, just because uh, your first trip out to Vegas was actually over kind of like uh over a series of, of controversial events in Vegas. I remember we were very worried uh, about actually, you. Actually, that, that, that was not the first time. The uh, first time I went out to Vegas, let, let me give you a clue. We were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. I remember <laughs> saying something like, I feel a bit lightheaded. Maybe you should drive. When suddenly there was a terrible roar all around us and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats all swooping and screeching and diving around the car, which was going 100 miles an hour with the top down to Las Vegas. Did they pay you to have sex with that bear? <laughs> yes, I had to stay at the Circus Circus. And... It was not this joyous, like, in my head, it was a very different experience than what I got. Um, well, you I went in actually... for Hunter S. Thompson, and real life is a little closer to David Lynch. <laughs> so I am sitting there, and I'm talking like, dude, I love the taxi drivers out there. I love the taxi drivers. 
and so I'm sitting there talking and I'm asking uh, the taxi driver to explain the different personalities of the different hotels. And I was like, okay, you know, what's this one? What's that one? It's like, what's a circus circus? She's like, eh, jocular pedophile. <laughs> oh, worst. I was like, you know, next year we're going to stay in a different hotel. Worst Yelp review ever. <laughs> um, with that being said, with that being said, the circus circus was cheap. And the first time I went, I had nothing. And we were just there for a conference. And uh, it was one of those situations where, like, I had plotted out where I could afford to eat. <laughs> like, that's that's what that trip was. So, uh, yeah, very different experience than uh, the trips I've had later. And, of course, the one that you're referring to is uh, I had actually we had just flown in. And we were right there when uh, the shooting started. And uh, oh. everybody thought that it was fireworks. And we were like, you know, debating about whether to go over there because it sounded really exciting. Right. And we were like, no, nah, let's uh, let's actually go over there. Because, again, we couldn't see what was happening. We could just hear it. And uh, that's when we popped in the car, got over to our Airbnb. And we're like, all right, uh, you know, should we go hit the strip? We order some food. The dude shows up. He's like, you do not want to go to the strip right now. Because we saw all those cop cars flying in. We're like, man, something really bad must be going That was. That was the longest set of sirens I've ever heard in my entire life for anything that I've ever been around that was going down at the time. And I was right near a freeway that got shut down for a cop shooting. And like, they literally stopped the entire Bay area. But I, that was back when I was living in California. Um, it was a continuous about 25 minutes of sirens coming from every single direction in Vegas. You can hear it in the entire Valley here. That was, yeah, it was a weird one. Weird time to be here. Uh, it's usually better. Uh, I'd say that as we're completely shut down basically halfway and there's no tourists in town yet again, but, um, no, it's a, it's a decent town. If you know where to go, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely, we'll find a couple of spots. I have loved my experience in Vegas. Like the thing about when that whole thing went down. So we, uh, we went to try and go give blood right after that. Cause we figured people would need it. And the, like yeah. the, they, the blood banks weren't even set up to receive us yet. Like it took days for that to really ramp yeah. up. And I remember there was a, we were over by the country club and there was that, there's that Burger King right there. And we were in there and like, you could just hear, cause it's right by the hospital and you could hear people crying when they got the phone call that their loved one had just died. Like that was happening in real time right there. And like, I'm sitting there and I'm seeing all these things pop up on Facebook. Like this is a false flag shooting, man, fuck you. Fuck you. Like, are you fucking kidding? I'm sorry. Pardon my French. Like, you're going to sit there and pretend like these people's pain isn't real because it suits your narrative? Like, oh, dude. Ugh. Well, and I miss the days that that was one of the craziest conspiracy theories. Like, now we've just gone like way amped up. Like, we've got uh, 5G coronavirus bats. Uh, murder <laughs> hornets and the whole nine now, right? Like, um, did you get meth gators for June 2020? <laughs> <laughs> you know, looking at my apocalypse card, I didn't really, uh, I don't have that NASCAR would actually be one of the most progressive sports industries. Yeah. But <laughs> how did liberals get NASCAR and conservatives get Harry Potter? Like, that's weird. I did not call that. Do you know what this feels like? Uh, so what happened? In Cabin in the Woods? Dude, no, no. I, I figured out exactly what happened. 
somebody answered the question. Oh, no, no, actually, we've gotten the answer. Somebody figured out the question to life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> and now the whole world, like the whole universe, has been destroyed and replaced with something even more inexplicable. <laughs> Dude, I feel like the question is how many whack ass conspiracy theories can an idiot believe at once? 42. Oh, dude, I'm uh, right up the road from the guy who uh, went up to D.C. for Pizzagate. So fun <laughs> fact about that guy. All right. That dude is from I think he's originally from Black Mountain or because he's right outside of Asheville. I want to say it was Black Mountain. Like and here's the thing about that guy. And this is the part. Well, and that, he was that, living um, in Salisbury when he did it. Like, he, OK, got yeah. It. So uh, here's the thing. That guy. I believe it. I truly believe that guy had goodness in his heart. He had been being told that there was a child pedophile sex dungeon underneath this pizza place and no one had gone to save them. And this man, because when I first heard it, I was like, you idiot. Like, this is clearly <laughs> you idiot. You correct. missed Jeffrey Epstein's house by like 10 miles. <laughs> So, but here's the thing, like, I truly believe that this guy had goodness in his heart because he wanted to liberate the children. Like, that's a good person right there who genuinely wants to liberate the children. The problem is that this guy bought into a cult, a cult of people who are not paying attention <laughs> to the right stuff. Like, um, I actually uh, heard a really cool interview. Uh, this is so way off topic. I uh, heard a really cool interview with a woman who had been married to an intelligence analyst for years. And she got really into the Q stuff for about three months. And she's like, I knew Q was fake when the Q release was a Bible verse because no intelligence source would possibly risk being found out by sharing an entire Bible verse. Like if this was legitimately an intelligence asset, that would not be something they would share. That's, she was like, at that moment, I knew it was BS. And she's like, I couldn't believe I fell for it for that long because it's asking like the people who believe this stuff are not dumb by any stretch of the imagination. They're not stupid. They're actively studying and reading and working and feeling really smart, smarmy, you might even well, say. Well, uh, OK, if you but just, just think because about you feel smart, processing power. just because you feel smart, does that mean you are? Because well, I mean, again, dude, Beast, how long have I known you? You are brilliant, and I've seen you do some dumbass shit. Well, like, I have seen the stupidity emanate from you. Well, yeah, because I am a beautifully complex creature, a, a unicorn, a genuine one of a kind. They don't make you any are. more of me. Um, they, you broke the mold, sir. But as somebody who uh, I, I've done a lot of studying on the idea of conspiracy theories for, for like about uh, uh, going on a year year and a half now and it's not because i buy Says the man who did all of twin peaks in two weeks listen i it's not that i like conspiracy theories not that i buy into them it's <laughs> i love a good story and the thing about a conspiracy theory is that it is almost a naturally occurring like it just pops up right um you know just amazing narrative because what happens is is as more people take in the narrative and then contribute to the narrative through their you know various filtering and things all of the loopholes that usually happen in storytelling they're all getting tied up that's why conspiracy theories make great movies because all your loopholes and incontinuities 
those problems have been solved by like you know <laughs> guys wearing tinfoil hats <laughs> can you imagine how many world problems we might actually fix if all these people were putting their efforts towards something like solving poverty or trying to address racism in the society at large or like you know looking at ways to provide social services <laughs> like just imagine how much good work could have been done with the millions of hours these people have sunk into it. Of course, I can't complain because Beast has put millions of hours into Twin Peaks. And when I consider <laughs> all the great things he hasn't accomplished because of that, uh, it, it hurts my heart a little. Well, you know, uh, Hitler did a lot of stuff and we see how that went. <laughs> all right, March. <laughs> all right, March shot. Uh, you know, man, here's the crazy thing about a conspiracy theory um, or conspiracy theories in general is you hear some crazy ones, but then statistically speaking, one is bound to be true. And we know this, right? So Operation Snowflake, that was a huge conspiracy theory. And they'd come to find out like, oh, Scientology has been putting people in government offices, specifically the IRS, for decades. Dude, I looked that stuff up last week. I had no idea. Yeah, Scientologists infiltrated Operation. the government. And they got away with they it count. because we all thought that they were joking. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Operation Freakout, Scientology is the guild of calamitous intent. Yeah, I mean, uh, very much so. Um and and that kind of actually thematically brings us back around to the trial of the monarch <laughs> because actually, because it was bound to happen sooner. Or later. <laughs> well, no, because now you see, uh, like after you know, uh, after Mekashiva, yeah, after Mekashiva, and after Monarch, you know, accuses Hank's pants of being on fire. Oh, dude, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, the fantasy sequence dissolves into the courtroom where the monarch is noisily objecting to Hank and Dean's ridiculously overblown and obviously false testimony. The court erupts into chaos. Outside, a stranger, phantom limb with no mustache, takes out the two guards, okay, yeah, by poisoning them. It's different than what we've seen him do in other whoa, episodes. Whoa, yeah. And then he calls in, send a cleaner for 375 pounds. And I wondered if this was the same cleaner. So he's killed the security guards. And then we get back into the courtroom where the monarch is trying to question Hank. And he's like, Hank, what's it like to be a, and then you're thinking like boy adventurer, son of a famous person, liar with pants <laughs> constantly on fire. Well, yeah, and, and because I'm I'm terrible at driving, uh, obviously I, I did hop a scene. But uh, so now we're finding out that there might be more nefarious chess moves at play around the trial of the monarch. It's not just going to be you know uh, cut and dry trial. Now there's some sort of like you know conspiracy afoot. Um, and again, maybe this is like a miscontinuity in the Phantom Limb stuff, or maybe is he just slowly like, can he throttle his powers? Can he throttle his mustache? <laughs> Dude, he looks like Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, like, uh, I love the way that he's in disguise with his purple outfit underneath. <laughs> Dude, I it's like he's wearing his costume underneath the stranger disguise which by the way how are these guys undercover anywhere <laughs> are they undercover in dark world or was it dark city like yeah, right 
you know what it was like? It was like uh, in the the last episode of our Brock blog, the family that slays together part two, when they're showing like they've got the video of them torturing helper, and it's the whole Abu Ghraib thing or the two eyes <laughs> bit, and Gary has the mask over his mask. <laughs> We've seen this before. We've seen this before. Uh, but of course, and like of all the fun stuff that the monarch's saying during this portion of the trial, may I remind you that I am rubber and you're glue? <laughs> uh, yeah, framing all the, the, the childish comebacks as like legal retorts. <laughs> oh, dude, it was so good. Fucking classic. It was so good. Uh, and of course, at this point, the monarch starts railing against the, uh, the I'm sorry, the judge starts railing against the monarch's idiotic self-defense. Uh, so at this point, uh, he calls the monarch into the back and is trying to let him know that he's got to cool down. He says, uh, what is it? You're on thin ice, but do you get off the ice? No. You jump on the ice like a lunatic having a conniption fit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what I love about this immediately is like (laughs) monarch representing himself and you're like, yeah, this is going to go well. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor is like, you know, you're going to be, you know, held accountable by, you know, uh, a jury uh, of your peers. And he's like, peers, peers. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to pause here for a moment and take a quick look at a, what his jury was. Uh, he had Star Trek bald guy, blonde lady in a red dress, a couple of guys in suits, soccer mom. <laughs> Hipster guy with Hank's shirt and green jacket, Asian guy, long hair, dark, uh, dark, long hair guy, librarian. Like th- th- this was, uh, does, does this count as peers? Cause uh, yeah, we had a good ratio of like, you know, men to women, I guess, but just one Asian guy, like that's it. Like that's what passes for, uh, I, I don't know. Wh- where do they live? Like it's certainly not a tech corridor. Well, I mean, also, uh, if we're talking a jury of his peers, wouldn't you want like a jury of like other super scientists or villains, somebody who can contextualize your actions? Or is this universe like people are just so mundane to that now? Like, oh, yeah, the guy disintegrated another cop. You know, it's one of those trials again. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's look at this a little bit like, you know, as well as I do, that jury selection is everything to a lot of these trials. And anything that makes you even remotely a good fit for being a good juror gets you disqualified. Like they are literally looking for the people who are probably not going to be able to judge this correctly so that they can be easily led to your opinion. Whereas if you know anything about it, they want you off that jury pool. Remember that woman who got kicked off for wearing a Star Trek uniform? Like she showed up in clothes. They were like, nope, you're done. I forget what trial that was. Was that OJ? (laughs) I I actually, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. And uh, it reminds me of that 30 Rock joke where Liz Lemon shows up as uh, Princess Leia to get out of jury duty. Oh, it was the Whitewater trial of Governor Jim Guy Tucker in Little Rock. And uh, this, she arrived wearing a Star Trek uniform. So 1996. Somebody's got to represent the prime directive here. I know, right? Uh, apparently, like, showing up. Like, because here's the thing. Like, I think we've talked about this before. Uh, Star Trek is quite possibly 
the absolute best representation of what a like communist society looks like. And there's different types of communism, right? Just like you've got different types of conservatism or liberalism or authoritarianism. Like you've got all these different types. And like, that's one of the, like, it is the absolute dream to live in a world without need, because at that point you can just like be whoever you are. And uh, I love that the second this woman showed that she had some morality, she was immediately dismissed. <laughs> I'm sorry, miss. You clearly have standards. You are not <laughs> going to be suitable for this trial. <laughs> well, and then, uh, all right. So we're we're in the chambers. Monarch is railing against his peers. Peers, <laughs> you call that like filth of humanity? Like the the rant on that's wonderful. Um, but then you probably get one of the best throwaway characters we have never <laughs> seen again. Oh, that's when this large man in a what I can only assume is the tan equivalent of seersucker comes in and uh you, his stomach is a rumbling, isn't it? Oh dude, you you know based on like what we're about to learn that this is straight up like a linen suit. Uh <laughs> like and so yeah, like you know this guy walks in and he has kind of this blank expression on his face and then you hear this muffled voice like, you know, can you can you let me out of these? Uh, oh, uh, I forgot to write that one down because I being a Southerner, I love collecting stereotypical Southern represent accent. Yeah. Like, you know, Southern representation. Um, and uh, like the thing he says when he's letting him out of the vest is like, I haven't heard that word used since it was like I was like 10 listening to my grandma. It's like fittings <laughs> or something like that. Um so then, like, you know, the, the big guy undoes his thing, uh, the vest pops open, and then comes out Tiny Attorney. <laughs> so do you remember the movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, this is clearly an, on, an homage to Quato, okay? Uh, Quato, the leader of the rebellion on Mars, who is essentially a cancerous growth on somebody else's body. Uh, we are getting a cancerous growth uh, preview, if you will, because it's going to be very important in the next episode. And this cancerous growth is, in fact, Tiny Attorney. And he is not uh, the same way Quato was. Like, he's actually got his own little shirt and vest and hat and while he is talking <laughs> fucking to tricks. the judge and the monarch uh he is doing hat tricks with his like like you know 1926 iowa state caucus huckster hat dude yeah and like just that he's like you know well he's explaining like why he's qualified you know due to his sore affliction and like monarch's like oh you're you've been afflicted i couldn't tell like <laughs> dude. and dude he's got that line he's like i'll be working harder than a cat trying to bury a turd on a marble floor dude, yeah. <laughs> now most villains are wilder than a hog in a peach orchard <laughs> <laughs> What I do declare. There was a great science fiction collection. It was the, what was it? The Arbor House Treasury that came out years ago. And it was one of the best science fiction collections I've ever read. And one of the things, one of the stories, and it was just a bunch of short stories. One of the stories 
was about a future when the population was so crowded, people had to share bodies and you switched days. And it's a series of notes between guy who's on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and guys who's on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Right. And it's like, look, you've got to stop skydiving. All right. I'm not comfortable with this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Listen, I noticed that we had a tattoo and a piercing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who who the I hell didn't is even Buck? Know what a frenulum was. <laughs> so after uh, after we get out of the the one scene, um, it cuts to Brock and because uh, I mean they're in recess. Obviously, if uh, you know the the attorneys are in in quarters with the the judge, so you see Doc and Brock or yeah Doc, and the boys and the boys sitting out there dropping some truths about bag lunches. They are eating what I can only assume is an egg salad sandwich. Oh, dude. And uh, they, they, they definitely name check it. And I love, like, because, again, Venture Brothers has this, like, superpower. It's like Brock's superpower, where it's like, the boys are in danger. Somebody's in my car. Venture Brothers, as a show, can hone in on those weird, like, specific experiences I had. Like, I went back to sixth grade, looking inside that bag lunch, like, egg salad again i'm just going in for the fucking cookie this isn't even life (laughs) (laughs) fart sandwiches man (laughs) yeah 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 uh we've got uh uh fart sandwiches I, I, i got stuck on that for a second i apologize um so we've got them outside and they're kind of talking about uh what's going on and Dr. Venture saying that he would have called the police on the monarch long ago if that was if he'd known that this was all it was going to take. And Brock responds that the police do not interfere with guild business. And that's when he starts laying out this stuff. He's like, you know, uh, who do you think bought the new cruisers for the police? Right. And of course, implying, you know, it's the guild who did it. And he's, of course, <laughs> Rusty's like, it was my tax dollars. And Hank's like, it was Santa Claus. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, might be the same thing, right? Tax dollar Santa. It's the guy. It's the guy who looked like the Riddler, who was on the free money from the government commercial. <laughs> <laughs> that right there Ma- is tax dollar Santa Claus. Oh, uh, I want to say I re- like it was his name Matthew Lesko. Yeah, something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, dude, like that guy did dress <laughs> straight up like a super villain. <laughs> Dude, like he was running around right after people learned how to make like telephone calls with 10, 10, 220 or whatever it was. <laughs> like that was. <laughs> oh, that's man, that's such a complicated. Okay. So back in the day, there were landlines and the people had to pay for <laughs> the two, two, three, two, one era is so weird to explain to people. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. There are some moments in time that are so specific, and that is one of them. Uh, it's also like back when uh, there was also that push to get out into the phone book. Like everybody knew the phones were dying. So they were like, let's just flood the market with phone books because who doesn't need more phone books? <laughs> and you'd end up with like eight giant phone books. Well, <laughs> and I want to know what the uh, – that's actually interesting. Um, so – I want to know if there's any correlation between like, you know, them pumping out phone books and like the rise in interrogation brutality in law enforcement. Well, we've got all these extra phone books laying around. 
or if there's a correlation between phone books and the rise in children pretending they could drive (laughs) (laughs) between phone books and the rise of people who could now reach things (laughs) so uh, um, we've got Brock making it very clear that uh, the guild is essentially buying off the cops to keep them out of guild business. And this is where we get another one of my favorite images and what I think is a character I wish we'd been introduced to but haven't. And that's when Dean is like, what about a super cop with a jetpack and a devil-may-care attitude? Like, where is this character in the Venture Brothers? Because this makes sense to me. Actually, we get this character. <gasps> Go on. Gary. Gary in Sphinx. Oh, man. Mm. Mm. Oh, come on. That, uh... it, he's got the jetpack, and not just like in the the 21 24 jet boy jet girl sense no he's got the jetpack right he's going around fighting crime albeit haphazardly like Dude, i mean he didn't the thing about the, the thing about this specific image in my head it was tom Selleck. all right in my head it was tom Selleck. Right? in from blue bloods like it, his yeah, current it was role. like it was tom Selleck plus the commish plus michael chiklis from the commish like kind of put together, like you know, he likes to party. Next to Star Lord. Yeah, but he's Next. yeah, like he's like he's worn down by his job, tired of working within the system. He's now going outside the law, above with, the law, yeah, above the law, yeah, <laughs> above the law. And you know, I gotta tell you, I wonder if what's going on in the world right now is going to dramatically impact the way police are uh, essentially referenced on film because the cop who is like breaking the law has been a trope for so long that uh, I wonder if we're going to see it anymore because uh, cops who break the law have a very different reality on the horizon. Uh, You know, man, I think... You never see, like, a fireman who breaks the law. Uh, Or you don't have songs like... Isn't that what... uh, Well, isn't that what uh, Fahrenheit 451 was all about? Well, that was taking the general premise of being a fireman and flipping on on its head. That was... No, 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 but then the, the... the main character breaks the law as a fireman to do the right thing. That's true. That's true. Uh, when, when the law is evil, the good will break the law. Man, uh, really, like, I think Watchmen, the Watchmen series, is going to be the first generation in that new, like, series of show about how we're, like, that new era. Because uh, Angela Abar did both. Like, she did a lot of good on the police side of the line. And then like things got a little hinky and she ends up operating on the other side of the law. Like, I mean, uh, it's I'm not going to those... lie, dude. Sister Knight is one of the most compelling characters I've seen in a generation. Well, dude, uh, this is one of those, uh, it's one of those shows. That, that's the reason I was even interested in film or broadcast because not only does Watchmen, give you a good history lesson but it's also strangely prophetic like you know I mean, you're I... prophetic <laughs> <laughs> mostly because i can read a watch uh <laughs> right. who watches the watches uh, <laughs> well and uh speaking of of watches the watches um not long after this do we have uh you know, from the conversation from Brock and Doc and the boys, uh, it cuts to our first appearance 
of Watch and Ward. And is this also the first appearance of the Sovereign? Or have we seen him before? Because he looked way different. Uh, yeah, like season one Sovereign looks a lot different. Um, and uh, also, you'll notice they put a ton of love on like the screens for Watch yeah. and Ward. Yeah. Like if you really go through and look at those images and then when you cut back to that later on, they do not have that like level of like detail, detail. and like, you know, kind of uh, avant-garde weirdness. Um, and fun fact, <laughs> uh, Doc Hammer, um, his uh, wife, uh, ex-wife now, um, was actually an avant-garde uh, filmmaker in New York. And so this is why he's really into doing a lot of the post-production and pre-production things. This is why he loves doing the, like, visual assets of stuff. Generally speaking, for the first, like, three or four seasons, if you see a screen within a screen, he's the guy who did the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the Sovereign stuff is uh, pretty interesting, too. Uh, If you've got the, I think it's season one or season two dvds um they have a featurette on like showing christopher mccullough you know jackson public doing the uh like recording for the big head like basically they just blare him down with like red lights on a black background and then just you know capture that image and manipulate the heck out of it um and of course you know we see the the sovereign uh tighten up as the series goes on uh you know as as per the the production of venture brothers you know what i mean like everything kind of tweaks and gets a little better and then you see a more consistent version of the sovereign you know about the end of season two moving into one or you uh, know the sovereign always reminded me of the bitter beer face guy yeah yeah wow man we're going into some deep cuts tintin three two one bitter beer face guy like wow i I didn't mean to larry king the conversation i apologize (laughs) Um, so let's, uh, Bob Dylan, did you have something you wanted to add? You totally sidetracked me with that. Um, <laughs> that, you I got that face. Faced your way into my heart. Shit. Um, <laughs> no, it is gone. That thought is completely gone. Shit. No, your train on. of thought left you boarding at the station. We're all good. Yeah, so here's what no. we got. We've got, uh, court, uh, we've got the sovereign talking with watch and ward sovereign kind of looks unique. Uh, they are declaring their plans to be ready. At which point, was it Watch turns to Ward? It's like, have you seen my juice box? Yeah, he's like, thanks for looking, like, thanks for making me look like a tool in front of the Sovereign, like rooting around <laughs> in the background and stuff. And oh, I feel like in the age of, um, well, and I feel like Sorry. in the age of Zoom meetings, that joke is only more relevant. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Wait, no, so uh, the, the train of thought came back. Uh, I love the idea that progressively, like you're saying, by through season by season, the look of the sovereign gets better. I almost like the idea that that's completely uh, actual within the show, not like just for our sake, he gets better. But like, I love the idea of watching Ward coming. We have some new equipment for you. You're gonna look a little bit better on the screen. And then they're like showing him the like the new pieces of tech and everything, and like just that little bit of like, yeah, they're totally just with us going to Best Buy and trying to find the new piece of tech. <laughs> a little bit better <laughs> we've we upgraded it with two gigs of kablam <laughs> do you think we should get the extended warranty i didn't really budget that <laughs> <laughs> them arching the uh the geek squad down there <laughs> oh dude like they just on their on i their removed shop- the cereal bus port <laughs> 
Listen, I know we're going to Best Buy, but do you want to pop into an Apple bar and make fun of the geniuses for a minute? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. I logged them all out of Facebook Messenger. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so, uh, we, we, wow, we're in a special place tonight. So, Actually, Court has... Got it. So, before we resume <laughs> with Court... <laughs> Before court resumes uh, and we get our next part, we're going to pause for just a moment for what I will normally be referring to as station identification, but I'm sure will be something far less profitable. Yep. This episode of Conjectural Technologies Podcast is brought to you by Conjectech Cigarettes. Are you the science-minded man looking for the right smoke for you? Well, look no further than the Conjectech Cigarette found wherever plutonium is sold. And while you're at it, why not pick up a nice fresh bottle of Guild of Calamitous Whiskey? Why, I'm enjoying them right now. Why aren't you? So we are back with the second part of our first episode of the 13th episode of season one in what is the first episode of what will be a multi-episode exploration of the monarch called the passions of the monarch maybe and there will be a test at the end of this episode so right. i hope you were paying attention andrew yang's got this on lock he's like math i got you so <laughs> here's what we've got we are back in the courtroom and we see phantom limb sitting there with a gun and he's starting to put it together. And what movie was that where Gary Oldman took the, uh, like, plastic gun into the... I think it was Gary Oldman and Robert Redford uh, took the plastic gun in, was going to take down some political candidate, and, uh, like, built the gun, like, under the table. And it's kind of that thing. And, like, he's starting to put this gun together. And the woman sitting beside him... Because, remember, he's just sitting back in the pew-pew-pews. And, like, the woman... <laughs> beside him is clearly disturbed by what he's doing and he's like oh i'm sorry would you like some pez <laughs> right it's like no I, they taste too much like soap like good save phantom limb good save well and, and uh do they taste like i've never granted okay i was always that kid i didn't put them in the pez dispenser like i just put the whole pack and pez in my mouth uh so like this whole it tastes like so is that like people genetically can't eat cilantro because like it just it tastes bad to them like a, a small portion of the population is that like pez like genetically people can't eat pez because it tastes like soap i i have never explored that that is a fantastic thought uh the idea of pez tasting like anything other than disappointing childhood is uh, not something I'm familiar with. Pez is one of those things that you thought was going to taste great, 
and then didn't. Like a lot of candies from that era. But like we've all seen Stand By Me, dude. They're all in on some cherry flavored Pez. Like maybe that was just what tasted good to them because they were still used to eating stuff like Captain America where everything was just boiled. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, Pez is essentially like whatever byproduct is left over from making Flintstone vitamins. <laughs> what do you do with all this fluoride that's made this nuclear reactor? Well, <laughs> we can add some cherry flavoring, some food coloring, and we've got a popsicle stand. Compress it down together, and then we'll put a cute little head dispenser on it. Kids will eat it up. So it's basically like the American cheese of candies. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Dude, comparing, you need like... I just realized how much of an insult that really is <laughs> like comparing anything to American cheese, which by the way, like isn't cheese. Yeah, no, it's not cheese. And in terms of like branding, how did we ever let our name get put on that? Because it was novel at the time. That's naming rights, man. You, you know, uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson would be all over you right now for daring to deign the importance of naming rights. That's why, like, Beetlejuice and Aldebaran have Arabic names. Like, that's why American cheese is called American cheese. And we obviously invented freedom, which is why we have freedom fries. <laughs> I love the way that you, like, have literally compared, like, processed cheese product to the naming of, like, celestial bodies. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, and the whole point of naming rights is when you invent something, you get to name it. Like, that's why it's Californium and Berkelium and not like, you know, Norman Nussbaumium de Swedenisk. Like, <laughs> um, that's just, it's, you know, it's, it's naming rights. You know, there's a reason it's called Tantra and not Stingism. Well, you know, here's the thing about naming rights. Uh, GIF versus GIF. Naming rights can be wrong, Jason, and we know this. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. And you know who can't be wrong? The monarch. And that is why he is going to get up and deliver his testimony, because he calls himself to the stand. And he does it in the most monarch way. Next, I call to the stand, the monarch! And the judge is like, just get on the stand and give your testimony. Like, it is so clear that the judge is Ugh. over this. Like, the judge is so over this. He can't even stand it. Um, well, and maybe it's because, again, uh, of, of when I was growing up, but he reminds me of Judge Ito. <laughs> like, very much, like, going through the O.J. Simpson, like, oh, Johnny Cochran again? Oh, God. Uh, just, just, <laughs> you don't have to rhyme. You could just say the testimony. Like uh, You could just you know, present your argument. Uh, yeah, let's just whole, I am so tired of this circus judge. Yeah, I have never had to tell a girl I've been trying to get her off so hard. I was like, Johnny Cochran. <laughs> uh, weird side note, since we were talking about the Vegas, uh, that I can show you. I can show you where O.J. Simpson buys his dog food. Uh, I met him at the pet store right around the corner from here. He's another local highlight we can show you when you're in town. Mm, highlight. Yeah. Him and Nick Cage. Him and Nick Cage frink with the same pet store. Uh, weird <laughs> fucking place Dude, to they drop run... into. Dude. <laughs> I, it, uh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Because I have got to imagine 
that a conversation between OJ Simpson and Nick Cage at the pet store would be the most disappointingly mundane conversation I have ever overheard. Uh, the conversation I had with OJ Simpson at the dogs or at the pet store was uh, him complaining about having to buy so much dog food for his family's dogs. That was my meeting OJ Simpson. As basic and mundane <laughs> and disappointing as basically you could have thrown Nick Cage right in the mix there and him being like, well, I get Purina. And that is how interesting that conversation would have gone. It's Can I it be honest? Be- Nick Cage seems like the kind of guy who would have like really unique birds. That's <laughs> like, he seems like the kind of guy, like he's got an aviary. Uh, he's like, a cat collector. He's actually. got a cock. He's got a he's cock a, of three. He's got about uh, 15 to 20 cats that he's bought through this one pet store in town. I don't know if he's gifting them off uh, <laughs> or what's going on there. Because, uh, what is it? The UFC owner, uh, Dana White, apparently buys ferrets from the same place and he gifts those off. I, uh, welcome to Vegas. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like, that's a very Elvis thing. It's like, what's the most, like, what's the creepiest way you can Elvis? It's like, no, 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 you're beautiful. I'm going to buy you a cat. <laughs> not, not a Cadillac, a cat. It's like, no, no, no. Some weird you're, obligation. You're, you're, you're really special. You're really special. Here's a ferret. You're going to hate it. <laughs> like, you Here's know, evil little weasel. Yeah. He's, well, and I was trying to think corner. of like, it's adorable. Well, I'm trying to think of a circumstance you want to have an interesting or exciting pet store conversation, and you don't. Think about this for a second. Michael Vick probably had some interesting dialogue <laughs> with his pet store owner. <laughs> Did you what watch you uh, cleans out blood? Have, uh, you, have you watched <laughs> Douglas by Hannah Gadsby? No. Dude. Um, there's a there's a part where she goes into a section about having a conversation with somebody at the dog park and like just how weird random conversations can get so fast and there are conversations about things that could be spurred on by animals that you do not want to have at all at all Mm -hmm. it's kind of like talking with a parent because once the dam has been breached in terms of what's off limits and quote polite conversation there is a torrent of weird that is going to fly your way I don't want to talk. Uh, I I don't want to talk about work, but I I work in a phone room at a vet hospital. I get literally only people talking about their animals and then slowly comparing themselves to the, and I I, I learn things about people and how their bodies work. I, 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 I don't want to know because they're comparing it to their dog or they're comparing it to the cat. It, you know, yeah. when, and when I fart, it doesn't make a sound. It's just the smell shows up, and it scares me sometimes when it happens. Like I'll fart and I'll just. <laughs> I was really afraid, Vaudevillain, that you were going to take that to the Armageddon level. Like, <laughs> I've got it sat right there. I, I've got my finger on the button, but I'm not going to push it today. We're just, I'll be back. We're, we're, we're going to leave that. We're going to leave it there. That's not for you. We're going to leave it there. We're going to so, save it for the butthole cuts of cats. <laughs> I start arching the Snyder cut as the butthole cut active <laughs> on social media. We need to make a presence. <laughs> what if, since you brought it up, what if even though there are certain <laughs> scenes he wants to have but can't, so they end up doing it with like 
post-it note production art right? <laughs> <laughs> since they didn't have enough money to actually do the scenes we're just gonna get some like anime oh that was oh, awesome. villain pub they should just villain pub everything that they can't do oh that'd be brilliant okay so <laughs> taylor swift's in this movie right <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the problem. How do we is... go from cat buttholes to Taylor Swift? I feel like it wasn't that hard. It was not that hard. Be honest. And, and we're not even talking about with the Cats movie connection. You could go from cat buttholes to Taylor Swift, like in the early two thousand era, no problem. Anyway, so so like that's the problem is we're coming up against like the 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 powerhouse and money of Taylor Swift. Because you've got to imagine she does not want like a CGI butthole. I am so waiting <laughs> for this to go past the point where I don't want to be on this podcast anymore. <laughs> we're we, man, we're 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 getting really close because there are parts of this I'm really having trouble following. So, <laughs> dude. Just... <laughs> having trouble following you just look for the brown eye jason <laughs> focus focus in one finger circular motion and don't you look at me uh, <laughs> with and that, we're canceled with that, <laughs> so <laughs> i feel oh, wow woosah uh, woosah woosah indeed <laughs> So let's pick back up with the fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the monarch going onto the stand, and the monarch begins testifying on his own behalf. Um, he then we get a look at a book that has been written. It's a quote tell all book filled with quote lies and pictures of also lies. <laughs> <laughs> well and what i love about the the idea of this book is that it explains how gary finances his lifestyle from here on out <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like all i had to do was write one moderately good selling book and then i can just hinge for the rest of my life hell yeah i'm gonna that's get a tattoo me. about it yeah, right that's that's how it works. As long as I got this stanza, my best friend, and this royalty, I'm set. Well, and uh, the okay, so the flight of the monarch does present some interesting continuity issues, maybe inside the show, because uh, in, in the the series of the books, like one of the events that they name check is uh, monarch gets a first glimpse at Doctor Girlfriend or presently dr ex-girlfriend um <laughs> so uh yeah like he gets his, the first glimpse of her like queen etheria suit right and uh we know for a fact that like you know due to shadow man nine so this might just be like a retcon type oversight or this could totally be the monarch you know leaning into the fact that she didn't know he was shadow man nine i could buy that i could definitely buy that you definitely got the feeling like he was hiding it because I still don't think that she knew until we get to that part where she's up for the guild. Yeah. The, uh, was it the beginning of season three? Yeah. Like yeah. it, you know, cause he makes it really clear that he's trying to hide that from her. 
and that's when he still got the the monarch mobile right you know that's his that's his sweet ride i love that he's parking it at his boss's house oh dude yeah and uh this is i think where you get your first name check on monstroso yeah uh yeah. which you know they very much you know kept continuity on on his idea it's like you're sitting on monstroso's lap yeah but like it's a huge lap there's like there's five, five of, us. of us on there right so uh, uh this is also where we get the monarch threatening to kill the henchman all right unless the author comes forward and that's where we get what is quite possibly the best line in the entire uh, show he's like it looks like a book it feels like a book it reads like a book but it is a suicide note right and that's when like 21 or 24 turns to 21 and it's like i told you he would find out right like and of course he's like there are pictures of me at danceteria making out with stiv baiters and uh first off i'm really proud of your 21 impression (laughs) second i spent more time Finding out who the fuck Stiv Baders Stiv and Lydia Lunch was. Uh, and Stiv Baders is still vague as hell. Like, he's definitely in that, like, velvet underground class of uh, punk musicians in New York. Um, you know, during the, the 70s and 80s. Uh, Lydia Lunch got kind of close to mainstream. Uh, she did a project with Sonic Youth. But really, outside of that, I'm like, why? <laughs> So there are some deep cuts here, and it's really obvious that the person who wrote this was really into the scene of, like, the 80s, like, post-punk. Like, it it was punk and, like, post-punk. Like, because Stiff Baders was mostly, like, uh, he did a couple of things. Like, he was actually in a couple of different bands. Like, he was in Hormones, uh, Frankenstein, The Wanderers, The Whores of Babylon, it, well, with, and with I'm TV in the South, Ramone, right? Well, I'm in the South. Hormones is two syllables. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> what is uh, what is Naomi spelled backwards? <laughs> that's why I don't have daughters. Um, <laughs> right. And um, actually, that's a, a very complicated joke predicated on my last name, which hopefully none of you will ever find out. Right. Uh, I know. But... <laughs> Uh, so, and then of course, Lydia Lunch was, uh, she was a singer guitarist for Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. And of course, as you know, as you know, um, so like these are, I don't want to use the word esoteric, but really specific to a place and time. And that is New York in the late seventies and early eighties. Right. Well, and, uh, listening to the commentary, um, it's actually, I don't even think they reference it in this episode. It's something that, uh, you know, they kind of talk about in terms of how they write a lot of their jokes. Lots of times, they're just writing to crack each other up. Yeah. Like, uh, Doc Hammer comes straight out at one of the commentaries and is like, you know, uh, Stiv Baders was literally just a name check to to make Jackson Public giggle. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and, and that stuff pops up all over the place. Like later on, they make like a, a reference to Jocelyn Wildenstein. <laughs> like, um, and of course, uh, you get some other great name checks here. Like, don't when get to that one too late. No, no, no. no. D- don't, don't get to that one too early. 
Well, no, I'm actually I'm hitting one a little early. Uh, he when he's talking about the uh, the Queen Etheria costume, he was like, you know, who designed that? Frank Frazetta. Dude, I love that line. <laughs> well, dude, yeah, like Frank Frazetta. That was the one reference I didn't have to Google. Uh, <laughs> right. um so he's an illustrator and pretty much if you've seen like a really heavy metal yeah if you no, if you've ever seen like a really bitchin van with like a fantasy scene on the side and a guy with a ponytail get out he is a fan of frank frazetta <laughs> right um yeah the heavy metal uh he also did a, a few um comics that were like again less like uh less mainstream but i want to say heavy metal was the the big one he also did a lot of fantasy title covers like conan dude his conan covers were epic yeah no i've actually i've got a couple of original uh like the the bigger size conan magazine format from like the 80s with a, a few of his covers on it yeah i mean his, his work is completely legendary he's actually uh, something uh, me and Savage will bring up every so often as a shorthand is like the Taco Bell Hacienda. <laughs> right. Like simulacrum. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what his style of art is. It's the, he created the simulacrum of like modern fantasy art as we know it. So the, uh, my first introduction to Frank Frazetta was actually to my, uh, was actually from my dad. Uh, my dad had some, like my dad's uh, book collection was freaking amazing. And there were several books that he had where you're sitting there looking at it and you're like, my goodness, these are glorious. And there was a Michael Moorcock book. Uh, and I forget the name of the book off the top of my head. But uh, it's essentially a Frank Fazetta drawing of a dude with a sword on like this cool sled being drawn by polar bears. And like and then, of course, like I started finding other books like, you know, things that would have Frank Frazetta. Let, let, let's just say I really came to appreciate Frank Frazetta's work for my uh, <laughs> for, I was really interested in some of the pictures. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, like, it's interesting um, because as a as a comic book fan, I've noticed I've gone through phases like, you know, early on, you see that kind of artwork and you're like, wow, like there's lots of skin, there's boobies. And then like later on, I'll see that stuff as a comic book reader. I'm like, that's not tactical. There is <laughs> no tactical. way she's like fighting crime in that. No, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Frank Frazetta absolutely dressed his women the way that uh, Phantom Limb thinks about their role as well. Like, oftentimes, these women are either, like, uh, like the absolute most luscious damsel in distress you've ever seen or the most absolute luscious, like, destroyer of worlds you have ever encountered. Like, his women are either like warrior queens or scrumptious. And just for anybody still lost on who this is, yeah, we're talking about the cat piss episode of South Park. That one, if you haven't seen uh, that one, I definitely would go recommend that to finish up your research on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, anytime you can recommend uh, South Park as cultural research, that's a good day. That is a good day. <laughs> That is a good day. Um, so this gets us continuing along 
to an unnamed henchman being delivered to the monarch as the author of the flight of the monarch and the way he's delivered <laughs> is there's a knock at the door and uh the doctor girlfriend she's currently doctor girlfriend gets up to go get the door the door opens and there's one of the uh one of the henchmen there and he's been drugged right he's been tranked so that he's no longer sensate and there's a note pinned to his back that just says i did it <laughs> Dude, and it's pinned to his back with the dart <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> now i actually had a little bit of trouble with this because this uh, apparently must have happened before the hench killed hench thing like i thought hench a uh, killed hench was something that was just verboten but apparently either this is a continuity error or it was before that had become a thing mm. uh well they so, didn't kill him no, they didn't kill him. We all knew what was going to happen. The monarch made it very clear that it was a suicide note. So Gary, yeah, a suicide. Up, he killed himself. A, Gary straight up murdered this man, right? No, and, no. Gary delivered him to his doom. Like I will say that. Like here's the thing: you have to understand these are still villains. They are loopholing the hell out of this. It's like, bro, we can't, <laughs> we can't kill this guy. It's like, well, we're not gonna. It's not a problem if, like, you know your primary arch kills a henchman for blundering. That's, that's a normal thing. Like, that happens. So yes. don't get on Beast's bad side. He can rationalize anything. Uh <laughs> uh, he's made his, uh, he's made his, uh, his larger point about where his moral scope is many times previously. Uh, his bad side is definitely not a place you want to be because his arching while not necessarily nefarious, will be persistent and indignant. Yes, uh, there is no uh, limbo bar of ethics that I won't go under. But... I love the idea <laughs> of a limbo bar of ethics. Like, how low can you go? How low can you go? I mean, you know, it, like currently like where we're at, uh, and, you know, I'm I'm in North Carolina, so the only thing I want to say is, Maybe those statues hung themselves. <laughs> Maybe, you know, if they didn't want to be hassled, they shouldn't be dressed so confederately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I, I can't. You can't see this right now, but my face is red. I can't believe this just happened. Holy smokes. Uh, so I, I don't even know if I want to put this in his backstory, because uh, I don't know if this is a conversation we want to go down. But but here damn, we go are. Down, they We're going go down. They go down. They did, and then right back up again. Uh, <laughs> dude, holy no, no, man! <laughs> I have such strong feelings on this. I feel like if I get started down this road, we're going to be here for a while. But suffice to say, it's about damn time. I'll just leave it there. So. Uh, let's get back to the episode <laughs> see what you guys don't like and maybe the listeners have picked up on this i'm arching the two of you the entire show <laughs> so we've got uh we this is where we find out that the monarch as he's telling a story he says i was lenient on him he'd punished himself enough and then we see 
the shark tank, like the guy getting lowered into the shark tank, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Girlfriend is like, you should have replaced his blood with acid after this pod. The sharks won't touch him now. And of course... <laughs> well, I, I love... I love like villain logic here. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you didn't even think you were just being rash. You just wanted to go ahead and inject them up with acid, not even thinking about the shark's appetite. <laughs> right. And then they follow up with a giant hair dryer. <laughs> like these sharks mean nothing to him. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's definitely, I love that. They're really going to get him with the hair dryer. Like, how much acid do they inject into his veins? Is it, and what kind of acid, is it slow acting enough that he's going to feel the sharks? And are the sharks, like, not vicious enough that they're going to leave enough of him alive to experience the hair dryer? Well, and okay, let's put it in, in Dr. Girlfriend's logic here. If you have the sharks first, where are you going to put the blood? Like, where are you going to put the acid? Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. See, like it's a good thing he didn't fill the vat with acid and then put the sharks in. <laughs> like it's a very weak molar acid. <laughs> I've been breeding acid-proof sharks for years. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let you check out my Furby collection. All right, so uh, we've got uh, the monarch really going on about how lenient he was. And this is where we find out why the monarch is actually in court, because he's being charged with killing a police officer. So the monarch explains that the details in the book led to a fight that he had with Dr. Girlfriend. And this is where we get, I think, my favorite reference in the entire episode. Uh, at this point, like the tell-all book has told way more than the monarch was comfortable knowing. Again, I think another problem because of something we find out later about uh, – how the monarch and, and Sheila are swingers. But he's like, you know, uh, is it, wouldn't it be easier for me to ask who you haven't slept with? There's a picture of you skinny dipping with Jim Fetus. Uh, and Jim Fetus, for those of you who don't know, is a J.G. Thorwell pseudonym or side project. Um, J.G. Thorwell uh, is a man of many hats, multiple talents. I actually caught an interview that he did in 1985. And he's being interviewed. And what she's like, you know, can you tell us about how you, you know, you clear all your samples, how you get into this? He's like, well, the problem with most people is that they can only play one instrument at a time. But also the fact is that I don't play any instruments. <laughs> <laughs> My instrument is the studio. And I was like, man, good on you, buddy. Good on you. My, my respect for Thorowell grows by leaps and bounds every day. Um, and of course, that's where we get the look at your costume. Did Frank Frazetta design it for you? Right. I can see your dirty pillows. Well, man, and <laughs> what I think the whole interaction, like the shock here is, uh, this is like the same. Uh, you know what? I'll go ahead and, and put this out. This is actually maybe borrowing from a Kevin Smith trope. All right. Hit me. So uh, one of the things Kevin Smith uh, deals with a lot in, in a few of his movies um, is kind of the conservative male idea of sex, especially in like, you know, uh, urban cultures, like, you know, in, in New Jersey, there's a lot of Catholic folk. Um, and so that pops up a lot in chasing Amy, right? Like, you know, he does this whole, like his, his silent Bob spiel where he finally breaks his silence and says his profound thing and talks about how he couldn't cope with her. Like, you know, uh, 
you know, sexual history. And then, of course, there's like the famous line in Clerks, you know, 37 in a row in a row yeah <laughs> try not to suck any dick, on the, dick to... on the way to the parking lot hey you turn around <laughs> right um uh, that was also the first time i learned what a snowball was uh, <laughs> that was not something that had entered my lexicon up to that point and then after that it became the uh, it became the insult of choice for quite some time oh dude yeah like uh doc savage like accusing people of having snowball fights is legendary no but yeah uh monarch is very sexually comfortable and liberated as long as it doesn't like rub on his sense of ego or masculinity you know this is interesting and i wonder if at some point we couldn't get a like a feminist perspective on how his uh on how you know what just full stop like I would kill to just have feminist perspective on this show because we cannot get like a girl to come on and talk about Venture Brothers to save our damn life. We want to, we want to <laughs> so bad, and it's not for the novelty of it or anything. It's because we value that opinion and we talk about things as dudes. But clearly, there's more than one perspective in terms of like the Monarch and Sheila's relationship is complicated, and I would love to hear a different perspective. So. If you are a woman listening to the show and you feel like you could talk to us, please reach out. We would love to have you on. <laughs> I love the way you said that. Like, we're just some dudes hanging out in their basement who, like, haven't talked to a woman yet. Uh, one day. <laughs> one day. Uh, I, the, the... <laughs> hey, I've gotten to wiggle around on top of a pretty lady twice, and I had a great time. Have we explained what a wiggle hug is? I, didn't we explain what a wiggle hug was in a previous episode? Yes, we did. Okay, all right. So <laughs> that that so the wiggle hug concept should not be lost. Um, now, uh, Vaude Villain, you've reached a yeah. special time in your life, and I feel like you're old enough to explain what a wiggle hug is. Well, I haven't had a successful wiggle hug yet, <laughs> but it's just. <laughs> Very special time in an not an old man, but an older man's life. It's kind of like a rusty venture with someone else. Uh, yeah, it's a two-person rusty venture. You know, when he gets a uh, uh, the ability to uh, persuade her willingly. No, that's a double frogman. <laughs> oh shit! Okay. <laughs> so that's why I forgot. In a rusty venture, no one is willing. It's a completely forced act, just like poor Rusty in his Boy Adventure career. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh. So, speaking of damaged childhoods, let's get back to the monarch. Yeah, what else did you want to ask me? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, so I, I've been going to therapy on. and repressing some memories. I can, I can unrepress some memories if you really want to go talk about it. Like... <laughs> No we'll do a learning bed. <laughs> no, I do not want to do a learning bed episode about the things memories. that we put up on the anger jar. <laughs> like, uh, like we we were talking about the square jar earlier. There's an anger jar, and those feelings <laughs> they, they get put up there, and they tend to like accidentally open on times when it's wally inappropriate. So let's go ahead and continue with our story. <laughs> like my nephew's pizzaniera. About, <laughs> about 
Doc, uh, the monarch throwing Sheila out. And by throwing Sheila out, I mean Sheila deciding to leave because she's not going to put up with his shit anymore. At that which point, he decides to uh, give her the moniker Dr. Ex-Girlfriend. And he also calls her a whore. And he accuses her of being mad with grief. At which point... (laughs) When he, like, kicks her out. He's like, you know, you whore, and then immediately flops off his bed, puts his head over, and starts kicking his feet. And crying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I got to tell you, that is actually the most endearing part about the monarch to me personally. It's not his hatred. It's not his rage. It's how deeply he can be hurt by the actual person that he loves. Like, and that's actually why I think his most successful arching, which we may not even necessarily get to cover. Do you remember that episode when he actually captures Doc Venture? And he's got, like, at one point he's wearing, like, the Queen Amidala outfit, like, the Chinese water torture and the gong. The bell! The bell! Yeah, the bell. Uh, Is that the diving bell and the butterfly? No, no, that's that's a little earlier. Uh, No, this is after the, the... Uh, thing at Don Hills where the yeah. disco ball lands on Doc. Yeah. And so, uh, and of course, like his ultimate arch is just giving up and letting Doc walk home in shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, it really uh, shows you how much he understands about Rusty Venture in that moment. Like, you know, oh, he's been studying. He knows the he knows the game. He knows the playbook to get that guy. Well, and okay, so I'm glad Dude, you brought that up. He's it's, puked all over his crappy childhood. Right. Well, and it's like that moment when the kids realize if they want to scare Doc Venture, you can't do it with sensationalism. You have to do it with sad realism. <laughs> <laughs> and like monarch had the same rev- rev- like revelation like this guy has survived so much what if like somebody just got depressed and let him go <laughs> really if, do you remember uh jenna from 30 rock and her boyfriend who was a female impersonator of her and <laughs> yeah. like remember when they went into that whole normaling thing like no no it's a thing like i feel like that's the monarch's greatest arch is normaling Right, like having like leveling with Doc Venture, having a heart to heart, and just be like, "Yeah, we're both awful. Just go on." It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. "Yeah, oh no, I didn't break his body, but I broke his spirit." Yeah, you are so Shinji right now. <laughs> so we get uh, Queen Etheria revealing herself as she stands up and says, "He's lying," and of course we get a flashback, uh, and it's essentially doctor ex girlfriend doctor ex doctor girlfriend doctor right. ex girlfriend let's take a going... hot minute and run down all of her monikers so there's uh, her, don't you mean her monarchers monarchers so of course you know there's her her god given name sheila right and then there's uh lady you know, opair lady opair there's do- uh, mrs girlfriend or is it doctor doctor Do- girlfriend doctor girlfriend doctor ex girlfriend doctor ex girlfriend back to doctor Dr. Mrs. My Wife. That's right. Doctor. Well, is uh, Dr. Mrs. My Wife still Dr. Mrs. The Monarch? Dr. Mrs. The Monarch. We've also got Queen Etheria. That's at least seven. I sure we're missing one or two somewhere else. Uh, yeah. she got a guild title? Oh, she is also Councilwoman. Yeah, Councilwoman, yep. Uh, Councilwoman 13? I, I forget. 
It was only like six and a half or whatever it is by at the end. (laughs) (laughs) But like, she's got more. uh, Like, she's clearly a ten. She should be councilwoman ten. There you go. Yeah, uh, such a cock. But uh, I mean, she's probably got more aliases than anybody else on the show, and she's also legitimately got more like villain cred. Like, I want to see her actual villain resume. I bet. Because we actually get to see a little bit of that. And of course, we'll explore this more when we do our Dr. Mrs. The Monarch, when we do our Sheila block. But uh, when she is going back before she can rise up to the council, she has to essentially put her past to bed. And watching her come to grips with her ex-arch is really insightful. And, you know, you get to see a little bit because, again, she doesn't have henchmen. She has the Moppets, who are these crazed murder-hungry, stiletto-wielding midgets, dwarves, little people, right, who are, like, again, like, they are the exact opposite of what you would expect a woman like her to be working with, because they, she comes off as all class, and I feel like the Moppets are anything but. Well, I mean, that's definitely what I like about Sheila is, she puts on the veneer to be disarming and uh there is like just something savage behind like way like not far beneath that surface at all like and when you get genuine glimpses into that like when she's resetting dr venture's hip (laughs) like that one time or like uh like later on in season seven where they're they're doing the whole you know uh big brother arch thing so then they can get the one stranger and the one OSI agent in the same place to try to do the matchup. And like Sheila has words with her. Monarch pulls her off. It's like, you know, oh, thanks, baby. Like, uh, you know, you saved my life. It's like, no, no, I saved that woman's life. I saved your job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I got to tell you, it's one of those things where like, if you end up with a partner like Sheila, you are a made person. Because you know that that partner is going to be looking out for you in ways that are better for you than the ways you want for yourself. <laughs> I mean, can you do any better than what was it? She says, uh, a man that you love and needs you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and the monarch needs her. Like, that can't be stressed enough. The only well, like successes he has as a villain outside of like you know his personal rage are due to sheila yeah uh the other thing about this too this brings up two points i wanted to make one is uh women taking on men who are projects like come on that's who i married (laughs) that's who you (laughs) married okay and Uh, the other thing about this is why in the world do women go back to their ex-boyfriend's house instead of their girlfriends. I could not tell you how many women showed up at my door after breaking up with an ex-boyfriend. And it's like, baby, we, we've been done for a minute. (laughs) Like, like, don't you have other people you want to talk to? I mean, I can guess why you're here, (laughs) but you sure you don't want to talk about this see somebody else like my reaction is always like the i mean granted it's been a hot minute and very rarely ever happened but it was always 
don't you think you've stolen enough of my hoodies? <laughs> like John, Johnny Sacco has a song called Bitch Stole My Hat, and that is straight up like the story of my late teens and early 20s. <laughs> well, and if you knew Doc Savage in person, uh, you would understand why. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him without a hat. And it's not that he necessitates it. Like, I am hairy in all the wrong places, <laughs> and it is leaving the top of my head for some, like, weird reason. Professor Savage here has this long, glorious mane of hair that he has to put up <laughs> underneath a fedora from time to time. It's a trophy. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I was like, and we're teeing it up <laughs> right out the park. Everybody, everybody wants that fedora, man. I'm not a big fan of fedoras. I like trilbies. Well, I mean, I understand that there's a tad uh, a, a bit of a negative social connotation to fedoras these days. <laughs> um, but really, like, yeah, the, the, the point being is, for whatever reason, he feels like he has to hide his glorious, luscious, <laughs> like, shampoo commercial hair. Like, <laughs> this is the only reason his wife married him. His hair is luscious and gorgeous, and she will just sit there and stroke it for hours. Yeah, my hair. Also, yes. <laughs> so, uh, my one of the things about this is, like, the thing about hats is uh <laughs> they are one of the i think most forgotten accessories in the era of the fancy haircut like i do not like a high maintenance haircut at all and the easy way to solve the high maintenance haircut thing is just to get a couple of good hats you're going to save money overall you're going to save a ton of time and uh although you're not going to get a nice shave at the end so that's officially like the title of your your authorized bi like biography <laughs> is the thing about hats. Muhammad Leibowitz presents <laughs> the thing about hats. <laughs> Dude, Muhammad Leibowitz sounds like a skeezy producer. Like, I need you to start making porn. Um, I not not like being in I, it because I couldn't watch that. But like, I totally want to like cue up a an adult film and be like. A Muhammad Leibowitz feature. <laughs> so um, I think I would probably be great at it uh, just because. Most guys I... think they would be great at porn. Well, no, like... here's, here's why. Here's why. Because I tend to look at porn the same way that I think horror directors look at the monster in the movie. And the trick. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you sound great at sex. Keep going. The, the trick would be. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> like you think you're watching an episode of Law and Order and it's like it's like having Tyler Durden as the projectionist. Ah, <laughs> uh, Matt Damon, call me. So <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> So back to the fucking 
You know what, man? It's it, We're going to get to the end of this episode, and we're going to go back and listen to this and be like, what in the world just happened? And, of course, people are going to be like, this is my favorite episode you've ever done. It's like, really, what episode did we cover? Like, I don't know, and it doesn't matter. We talked about Venture Brothers for, like, ten minutes. That was great. <laughs> so, we've got uh, Queen Etheria, Lady Pair, Dr. Girlfriend, Dr. Ex-Girlfriend, Sheila, Dr. Mrs. My Wife, Dr. Mrs. The Monarch, making her way up to the stand, Councilwoman 13, making her way up to the stand. Um, and then we get her flashback. And we get one of my other favorite lines of the entire thing, one that we referenced earlier. And it's the her flashback of her arriving. She comes in from the cold. And Franklin, right? That, that, that's his name, Franklin? What's, what, what's Phantom Limb's real name? Oh... I think it's uh, uh, I think it's Franklin. Uh, um, it's a scare at, at any rate. Uh, so like opens the door and she's soaking wet. Her hair is down. She doesn't have the bouffant at the moment. She doesn't have her hair up. She's soaking wet. Her clothes are soaked through. He welcomes her in. And of course, like it's like imagine the story that a woman is going to tell when she knows her ex-boyfriend is in the room. That is exactly what's happening. She is laying it on thick. Like Phantom Limb <laughs> seems even more dashing and handsome than normal. Uh, like he's walking Hamilton. Hamilton. That's right. Not Hamilton, Hamilton. G. Phantoma. So uh, Hamilton welcomes her in and she is laying it on thick for the monarch's benefit. And we get to see this play out. And of course, you know, it's driving him nuts. So she's carrying on this conversation with him. You know, why do men act like this? Uh, which is something none of us can truly accurately <laughs> explain. Um, and of course, we get uh, Phantom Limb coming out. Like she wants to change clothes and he comes out with her Queen Etheria costume. And she's like, oh, you kept it. And he's like, yeah, he hands it to her. And she's like, what are these hard chunks? my tears at which point the monarch interjects with you know he was pounding his invisible meat <laughs> uh first off I, I know he's trying to sound smooth but like you have chunky tears man i uh <laughs> like it was i i it, we we all knew what was going on like we, there was no doubt about it. And the monarch, God bless him, he knows. At which point he calls out Hamilton, and things get continually weirder. She's explaining that she went to her ex boyfriend's house for emotional okay. comfort. Uh, go ahead. All right. So, <laughs> just just follow me here. He said, <laughs> "Famous last right. words." So. Paul Rubens, <laughs> Fred Willard, <laughs> and Phantom Limb walk into an adult theater. <laughs> I don't have a punchline yet, but the idea just it cracks me the fuck up. <laughs> Do you remember, actually, you're probably too young for this. So right after Paul Rubens got caught. All right. Um, there was this joke that went around and this is again, pre-internet. So this joke started somewhere and made its way around the entire country very quickly, strictly by word of mouth. Oh, okay. And blast faxing. 
that okay okay oh dude That's... you've never gotten like those weird uh i mean, i spent a lot of time like hanging out in my grandma's like office like at, at her work you know uh sometimes and like you know over the summer and they would get these like faxes of like jokes just joke faxes like something to brighten your day and that was kind of like internet memes before the internet so the joke was name three famous people who've been shot in the back of the head <laughs> that's fucking terrible <laughs> so of course of course the first one everybody thinks of is jfk after that you've got lincoln right and that's where everybody stops and they're like who's the third and it's like the guy sitting in front of Wee herman nice <laughs> to paul rubens's credit all right, he had to host the MTV Awards right after this happened. He gets up at that dais, and the first line out of his mouth is, heard any good jokes lately? <laughs> I mean, and, and really, like, that is exactly the playbook. All you can do is own it, because if you don't own it, like, one thing I will always say about my, my tenure as uh, Professor Savage's uh, companda is friendship with Professor Savage is like a frat that you didn't know you were pledging. <laughs> It'll help you on a job interview one day. <laughs> <laughs> Close your eyes. Is this going to help you on a job interview one day? So, uh, yeah, it, it's very much, you know, um, you get a nickname and you can either fight that nickname and it's going to stick to you harder like a Chinese <laughs> finger trap. Or you can, you know, uh, just enjoy the temperature of the water uh and slowly slide into it and just let it be a part of you and that's exactly what uh you know paul rubens did <laughs> I, I really just think about like all the weird conversations that had to have happened because like uh lawrence fishburne was <laughs> was on that show cowboy curse uh who is it? Uh, Rob Zombie was a like PA. That's he got his start on Pee Wee Herman. Did you know that Pee Wee's Big Adventure was Tim Burton's first film? Really? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Now you know. That was half the battle. There is far too much light in that movie for to believe Tim Burton had anything to do with it. Uh, you know what I found out Tim Burton was involved with, and I couldn't believe it because it's one of my favorite. It's kind of sad, but he was an uncredited animator <laughs> on uh, Fox and the Hound. Oh. Yeah. I heard I heard that somewhere, uh, and I was like, really? And apparently it's part of where he got some of his connections that led to later down the line with some of his working with Disney. But yeah, apparently he was an uncredited animator on that one. So I do have normally... Any... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I have a, a middle, almost end of your joke for you, because since we're just going to build this one piece by piece, somebody has to say, does anyone have change for this jerk? Now, it could... <laughs> I'm going with the cash register doesn't have any chain, but there you go. We have another middle bit to this joke we're building here. Um, and then uh, <laughs> just one last one since we were also. So hang on, it, it was Paul Rubens, Fred Willard, and who else? And uh, Phantom Limb. Phantom Limb. And someone at some point says, does anybody have change for this jerk? And then you, you mentioned JFK and we were going on old comedians here. I heard a great <laughs> Gilbert Grodfried. This is the way my brain works. I'm sorry. But you mentioned Gilbert, or you mentioned um, JFK, and apparently Gilbert Gottfried was in the same room as Jackie Onassis, and his go-to move was to walk up to her and go, "Hey, do you remember where you were when 
<laughs> trailed off, and apparently she did not appreciate that, turned and walked away. That was the story the way Gilbert told it. Oh, um, that is some fucked up shit. Oh, ooh. man. Dude, that is... Uh, that is I'm going to go ahead and rate that straight up 9.5 one-on-one arching. Dude, that is cold <laughs> as sin. And he told Holy the story shit. with a straight face. He told it with a straight face and i was just like oh you bad that is bad <laughs> that is that that is 9.5 like that's harsh oh dude no he could have gotten the other 0.5 if he'd have done like the dad joke follow-up <laughs> right. one of my favorite things to do is tell a bad joke and then reinforce the punchline like nobody got it because <laughs> i was at home on tv watching it happen and you were right there <laughs> Right, right. No, I, I totally would have been like, you know, uh, do you remember where you... No, no, no. I Listen, I don't... I was going to say when your husband died. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not what you think. <laughs> oh. Exactly. <laughs> this episode is taking a hard left. <laughs> uh, let's get back on track. You told us... To, we are not following you anymore. Fine. <laughs> So we, we we left off at Hamilton's invisible meat. She explained to her ex-boyfriend, Phantom Limb for emotional comfort. When the details of Limb's rotations get too adult, uh, Doc asks Brock to take the boys outside. Uh, they decide they're going to go look for clues, and <laughs> they find clues some, are basically just trash. They find some discarded chewing gum on the uh, on the water fountain, and then start going to town. There's this part where they come up to the door and like D- Dean yanks a hair out of Hank's head and puts it on the door. And it's like few people, you know, oh, we'll know that they're there. Saliva's nature's glue and raisins are nature's candy. Right. And that's when Brock <laughs> notices that the guards have been taken out and replaced with guild ops. Uh, at that point, the guild ops know they're in trouble because one of them looks like uh, uh, who is the uh, the cro- uh, compudile from Rick and Morty? CompuCroc, the crocodile from the World Ender episode, the Vindicators. Oh, uh, I know who you're he talking about. He kind of looks like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're so undercover, right? And Brock's like, all right, this is going on. Uh, at this point, Dr. Orpheus comes out of the bathroom. It's like, sorry, I have Taco Bell, right? And then it makes his way in, and they're asking Dr. Orpheus to take the stand. They want him to give his testimony. And, you know, they, the guard holds up a Bible, and Dr. O is like, <laughs> that's so quaint. I have my own book. And he pulls out the freaking Necronomicon <laughs> from Evil Dead. And, like, uh, and like, he's like, you know, careful, like, he might bite. Like, yeah, yeah. And, of course, I swear, and uh, manages to give his testimony. And... We get the we bounce back out to Brock and he's talking about how this is a guild off and he's kind of laying out what's going to happen. He gets the impression that the boys are safe. He's like, you know, and then he lays out actually what I think is one of the most important lines of the entire episode. He says, in a way, the Guild of Calamitous Intent is the only organization I still respect. And like that, that probably hit me a lot deeper than it, I, than it ever did before, considering we just wrapped up with the Brock block. And, you know, that's when Hank interjects with, and they kill clean. They don't let dames get in the way. <laughs> it's like, oh, dude. And yeah, this is where you start to get 
like the inklings of what definitely like develops into whatever you know psychosis hank has but like from right here this one moment builds up later on into everybody comes to yeah, exactly <laughs> and uh, i love it too it's like where does he get that stuff i never see you read <laughs> and he's like it's like he channels crazy dead people and Hank's like maybe it's a cry for help <laughs> so orpheus is like revealing you know he's got magic abilities he can go and he can read minds and he's going to read the monarch's mind right now the monarch's like totally read my mind i'm innocent i didn't kill this guy and by the way no let's talk about I, I, I love the line in there because he, he's a little nervous about it. And he, Dr. O says something about, I'm the, I won't make your eyes boil. Uh, <laughs> he, he warns him on that one. Like, yeah. I, I can control my powers. Well, and like, we have a legal system where they bring in mind readers. And this is like a legitimate thing that holds up in trial. <laughs> I could only hope. Like, can you imagine how fast the justice system would get trials done? Like, the justice system would be so clean and so easy. Like you just walk up to the mind reader, the mind reader would be like, all right, this is what happened. All right, trial over. You don't even need a jury. Nobody's got to take time off of work. You said like a fact checker, just someone who's like reviewing the case as it comes yeah, exactly. to the memory thing. Yeah, you're just like, and that, yep, that, that memory looks like it loaded 100% perfect and you're clear. Boop, you're passed. Fine. Yeah, over, exactly. Boop, you're fucked. Go to jail. Done, um, done clean. So uh, we've then got Orpheus. <laughs> Yay, my report. Uh, <laughs> hug me sleep dream right and that's when we've got uh the freeze team entering okay um so we've got uh we've got i'm sorry we've got the flashback with uh dr orpheus and it reveals <laughs> what actually what happened the- <laughs> and it's got the monarch drunk outside of phantom limb's house <laughs> with a huge pile of empty beer cans with a, when the cop shows up. So, Beast, hit me. What do you got? Dude, just uh, the whole, like, little bit of the bathroom interaction when the strangers finally, like, burst in. Like, right before they make a great joke, is like, oh, Guild Stranger. You can't expect to know everybody, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, you know, the, the cold team comes in, and he's like, everybody down to the floor. It smells it like, like pee, pee. And then he pushes his face down. <laughs> It's like, I said, hold your uh, breath. Hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Orpheus is reading the monarch's mind. He's in there. We're getting the flashback. Um, the cop comes up, and uh, what is it? The monarch's like the monarch's pissed. We got all these empty cans. He's like, "What are you, fat Tom's a Finland ass?" <laughs> like, that's a very right, specific, officer Poncherello. That's it. That is such a specific sex toy reference, <laughs> right? And go on. Then, as the monarch's starting to get belligerent, this dart flies out. This trank dart flies out, hits the monarch. The monarch passes out, right? And uh, the guild guys show up, and they're just going to take him. And that's when we find out uh, that the, as the monarch's being dragged away. Uh, he goes, it's like, do I have an erection? I feel like I have an erection. <laughs> so just as the, uh, just as Dr. Orpheus is about to tell the court, the freeze team comes in, strangers swarm the courtroom, flood it with gas, freezes everyone inside. Oh, go ahead. Hit me. Uh, sorry. This was the one thing I, if anyone out there wants to give me a bunch of money 
and a supermodel wife and make me just go away forever. I'm fair game. Uh, just saying. Um, that guy got about the sweetest deal I think you can get in life. It's like the lottery, but no one's ever going to know you won. You just get to right. You have to well, and, disappear forever. That is a pretty sweet gig he got there. And you have to think uh, the cops in that police station, like, you know, sheriff's deputies, what have you, they're all walking around, but like, you know, did you hear what happened to Ted? Uh, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, yeah, yeah, died in the line of duty. Wink, wink. And like, they're all hoping to get that, like, you know, retirement plan uh like you know offered to them like this is the only reason i became a cop was to take dirty money from the guild <laughs> right <laughs> so this was also the other interesting thing i thought about it was is you mentioned the line about proxying that this was the only people that he respected is this the beginning of the guild being different or is this the same old guild that he's always respected because this feels shady as shit to me I feel like Phantom Limb's doing some stuff that is in Phantom Limb's interest, not necessarily guild interest. And well, we and of course, the Sovereign's on... behind this, too. Like, the Sovereign is in on this. But is there a misinterpretation? We've seen Ian later on Phantom Limb kind of skewing things in his own yeah. favor. I just wonder if this is the beginning of it, and we're we're getting it slow played on us a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's more of a like the beginning of the crime of opportunity. Like you can see where, you know, him and uh, Monarch start to have, you know, competing interests romantically, but also like, you know, in terms of what kind of villain they are. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, like not to jump too far ahead, but once we get to the, you know, kind of the, the big twist here. Um, you know, you find out that there is a, a larger planet play and it had nothing to do with the monarch. Like, yeah. you know, he's just kind of the, uh, you know, the pawn on that. Um, going back to the conspiracy theory conversation we were having earlier. See, it all comes back together. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, circles are shapes. Really... <laughs> yes, circles are shapes. Um, no, I really think that this is the beginning of that fissure. This is where phantom limb starts looking for you know the angle to start like you know abusing his power toward the monarch okay yeah i get that uh so we've got uh the freeze team coming in and who do we find out they're actually after they're actually after tiny attorney so brock and the boys are in the restroom phantom limb orders memory wipes on everybody and one of the strangers asks for instructions regarding orpheus and uh, this is when we get the doctor, or we get Hamilton saying, "Oh, I've got something different for him. Like since he can't take the memory wipe, they are he's he's a magician. They're really susceptible to hypnotic suggestion. They take to it like <laughs> cancer to a prostate." <laughs> <laughs> so we also get, um, you know, uh, like he the, he then take leans in and starts whispering stuff into Orpheus's ear. He's uh, like, oh, the monarch's a very bad man who's going to hurt the ventures. He's guilty of all charges. In return, Orpheus will receive from the guild the arch enemy he has so desperately wanted. And But Dr. Girlfriend's really uneasy about setting up the monarch. And Phantom Limb's assuring her that somebody must be the patsy. Still distraught, she tells the monarch that the Venture brothers and not she are responsible for all of this. Uh, this is the first really uncharacteristically shady thing she does. Like, she's done a lot of really shady stuff, 
this feels way off base uh, because she's uh, like she's simultaneously showing both weakness and uh, distress, which are two things I don't associate with her. She's implying that she's distressed about what she's done to the monarch, which is a level of guilt. Again, you know, we've got a lot of these characters in flux in this episode, but it's a level of guilt that one does not normally associate with her because she's the type of person who owns who she is. And she also seems like the kind of person who would have owned up to it in the hopes that the truth would make it better with the person that she actually loved. Um, and the- uh, see, this is why I love you, man. Because even in like a den of super villainy, you're like, no, she's totally going to be honest. The truth will set her soul free. <laughs> well, it's me- I mean, I really feel like um, she's conflicted because, again, you know, she cares for the monarch. And we're in that like, you know, Ross and Rachel period right now uh, before they really cement into that. But like, uh, I think at the end of the day, it was just kind of flip it to get, you know, guilt, like heat off her back because she knows somehow like she loves this man. This is going to end up like, you know, this is where she's going to end up eventually. Like, I think she, you know, can kind of understand that about herself. So she just, you know, throws a random name out there, which actually seems to have a much larger consequence very soon. Yeah, that's true. Um, so we've got the group leaving the courtroom. And one of the strangers who's outside of the bathroom thanks Brock for not interfering. And they've got about like 20 seconds until the freeze wears off. So the boys, Brock, take a seat next to Dr. Venture, just as everybody wakes up as if nothing has happened, as Lim had predicted, Orpheus believes and cries out that the monarch is guilty. Credits. We've got one final scene at the end, and that is Dr. Girlfriend visiting the monarch in prison. We can see Dr. Monarch face on. We're seeing uh, Dr girlfriend from behind and the monarch is talking um, they're separated by a sheet of glass they're speaking you know by the telephone and the monarch just affirms that he forgives dr girlfriend and they'll start over when he's released from prison in a few decades and then we get the reverse angle and the big surprise dr girlfriend is not dr girlfriend it's henchman 24 dressed like dr girlfriend who then asks, <laughs> can i leave now all right uh, Professor Savage, I'm going to ask a favor of you that is going to stretch the boundaries of your fortitude and talent. Uh, I have five fortitude. All right, so then you're going to be prepared here. Uh, I want you to do a Doctor Misses the Monarch impression as 24 talking to the monarch. What do you mean? Yeah, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> think about that. That, that, that. I'm sitting here trying to come up with uh, with what that sounds like. Uh, you want me to? Uh, you want me? I'm gonna come on, like, rub it on my what? I will. <laughs> In my mind, I think I, of I, like Ray Romano trying to do like one of those stereotypical mother-in-law impressions. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's gonna take me a minute to work this out, and I don't know that we have that kind of time on this episode. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, my, my my process is uh, is a little more little more involved it because it, most of the time it's just standing around making funny noises until you find the right one 
<laughs> um, I've been actually working on getting into voices for some of the stuff we've been doing on the on the backside here lately, and you're 100% right. I find myself making bizarre random noises to find pitches and things, and I, I, I have to do it by myself now because I just sound fucking ridiculous trying to find anything. Oh, yeah. Lord oh, dude, forbid, doing accent work. Lord forbid. Doing accent work is, is hilarious. Like, Fuck. you know... You you start off trying to do one accent, right? And and maybe you can hit the Irish, and then you try to move over to doing like a Scottish, but it comes out more like Jamaican man. <laughs> like <laughs> you are well known for your Scottish Jamaicans. Did I ever tell you about the time I did a wedding for an uh, a Japanese couple? Um, but the Japanese, uh, but one half of the family was from Jamaica, and the other half was from the U.S. Dude. It was surreal because you, there are a few places you do not expect to hear a thick Jamaican patois. And one of them is out of a super drunk Japanese dad. <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, when I was uh, at Heroes Con a few years back, um, I ran into a uh, lovely gentleman. Uh, we were actually talking by the Bob Camp table. Uh, like we, I just met the guy who created Red and Stimpy and, uh, we were off to the sides, putting our comics back in the bags. Cause you have to get out of people's way after you get signed. Yeah. And, uh, apparently like, you know, just kind of look up and, you know, it's a really handsome, like Asian dude. And he looks over me with this, like, you know, just, Hey, how's it going, mate? I'm like, what? <laughs> and apparently his family moved to Ireland uh, during like the big tech boom. So you have a lot of Chinese descendant Irish people now. Interesting. It is um, like, it, it's really one of those, like you said, it's, it's almost like uh, confusing. It's almost like uh cultural dissonance. Like you see yeah. something, but it yeah. doesn't sound the way you presuppose it to be. Yeah, exactly. It's like every time your kid says something, you feel like they're way too young to say, like I put ha three down on the changing table right now ha three is just now two years old i put him down on the changing table and he threw his arms up over his head and said as clear as day my stabilizers are out <laughs> uh my youngest clone has started concurring <laughs> i concur <laughs> That's good stuff that's good stuff well ladies and gentlemen this brings well hang us on hang on this isn't fair uh, all right, Vaudevillain, what do your cats say? He's a fur dad. His cats say, take us to Nicholas Cage's house. Yes. <laughs> I would gladly take them. Oh, my God. I got to no, tell I, you, I, I would like to party with Nicholas Cage. I think that would be fun. I bet that dude can throw down. Dude, I want to do, like, I would go to, like, a six-hour one-man show of Nicholas Cage just talking about his life. Do you know who is actually excellent at this? I think you and I had this conversation back in like 2004. Uh, Jello Biafra yeah. is an amazing speaker. And I wish, I don't know if he's still doing stuff, but man, it, he, I, I could sit and listen to that man spin stories for hours and hours and hours. He's so good. He at is it. like the Bob Dylan of oration. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, the last time I saw him was in the buildup to the Iraq war. And uh, he'd, he'd put out a bunch of spoken word albums. I mean, the guy was incredibly politically astute and his insights were truly insightful and his delivery was top notch. I mean, it is rare 
that you can sit there like because uh, Kevin Smith does the same thing. Like you get him started. What, what was that? Too fat for 40. Dude asked one question and Kevin Smith talked for two and a half hours answering it. Right. Yep. And now you understand like my thrust as a person. Right. <laughs> it fits with your idiom. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, as idiomatic as we have been, we beg your indulgence and we thank you for your patronage. If you have something you'd like to share with us about something you thought we missed or something you would like to contribute, do not hesitate to hit us up. Uh, Beast, where can they find us? Uh, you can find us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or uh, our Twitter handle that will be in the credits that I don't remember off the top <laughs> of my head. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for joining us for another fantastic episode of Conjectural Technologies, a venture industries podcast. I have been, continue to be, and shall remain one of your three co-hosts, uh, Professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion. You were about to switch with me. I don't want to be you, okay? My longtime companion, Beast <laughs> And we were joined once again this week by our favorite destroyer of cruise ship entertainment schedules, the Vaudevillain. Fuck you, Carnival. <laughs> I'm coming for you, Norwegian. All right, guys. Viking River, you think you're safe? <laughs> if, if you thought you were safe, I would concur. All right, guys. Go Team Venture. Go, Go Team, team Venture! Venture. Conjectural Technologies Podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me, Beast Lamode, Professor Brock Savage, and Vaude Villain. Edited by Beast Lamode and Vaude Villain. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pot and go team venture that was even worse i know it's got to be one of the better running gags by now <laughs> I, 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 I hope so